Welcome to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm the chairman of the Precision Oncology Alliance, our large collaborative research network that is destined to conduct research in precision medicine, in precision oncology, with the ultimate hope of improving the outcomes of patients with cancer. I appreciate you tuning in for this new episode of the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. And today, it's not going to be an easy episode because I'll be talking to the mother of a child who lost her battle with a very rare disease. I have the honor and privilege of getting introduced to Tiffany McConaughey. She's a nurse practitioner in Arkansas who lost her daughter not long ago from a rare disease, and she's going to share her story with us. We are going to learn a lot from this story but most importantly, how it is crucial to dedicate research and resources even for rare diseases. These rare diseases are the ones that sometimes we can identify a biomarker for, a genetic mutation for. They may not affect hundreds of thousands of people. They may affect only hundreds of people. But for every single patient who is diagnosed with cancer, if we're able to find a treatment, if we're able to find a solution, that will mean the world to this individual. Imagine a mother that is faced with her daughter being diagnosed with a rare disease and no choices and no options. That's why research is needed. And that's really where precision medicine and precision oncology is going to make an impact on the lives of everyone. So we are gonna learn about this and I appreciate you tuning in and learning about Tiffany McConaughey and her daughter's story. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. Don't forget to rate the podcast and let your friends and colleagues know about this podcast. You can always email me at cnabhan at kerisls.com and let me know what we are doing and offer any suggestions or ideas. Without further ado, Tiffany McConaughey on the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. Tiffany, welcome to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. I appreciate uh, taking some time of your schedule. Looks like you are finishing up your busy clinical work. I'd like to start by some introduction, just telling our listeners uh, who you are and what you do day in and day out, and what got you into nursing in the first place and then um, into being a nurse practitioner. Well, I hope you have a while. My story is pretty lengthy, but I'll try to shorten it down. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk and share with you our story. So back in 2009, I decided I wanted to go into nursing. I was 20 years old, and I wanted to go um, to medical school, but I decided with my social life, maybe that wasn't the route I wanted to take. I wanted a little more freedom, and I really didn't want to be in school for that long. So I decided that nursing was going to be the way to go for me. I've been interested in medicine since I was a two-year-old, my grandmother would tell me I'd flip through her old medical books and look at the pictures and ask her what all the pictures were 
So I have no idea what brought me into the medical field other than that's just where I'm supposed to be. No one in my family is medical. I'm the first one who has ever worked in any kind of healthcare. So that was kind of an odd thing just to be interested in from a very young age. But I graduated with my associate degree in nursing in 2011. I started working at our local hospital here in Hot Springs on an oncology floor. And truth be known, I did not want to work on that floor. I had no interest in oncology. I had no family members who had ever been diagnosed with cancer. I had no close friends or relatives who had ever been diagnosed. So cancer to me was just a really upsetting field that I had no experience with. I wanted to work in the ER, ICU, but unfortunately, they don't want to hire new nurses straight into critical care fields unless you've worked in them previously. So that wasn't an option. And I took the job that I could get. So which was initially meant to be my stepping stone into a more critical care field. So as I started working, I fell in love with a lady that had colon cancer. And ever since then, I have worked in oncology. I spent five years at another cancer institute in central Arkansas as an RN. And then I finished my nurse practitioner degree and started working in Hemoc after that, I've also obtained my advanced oncology certification as a nurse practitioner. So Hemoc has been what I've worked in my entire career, which has now been almost 12 years. So that's kind of my my work path and a very unexpected work path that I could have never imagined having. But you've embraced it and uh, and that's really what matters. Um Tiffany, in your day-to-day in, how do you spend your day in in the clinic? We see hospital patients. We see um, any type of oncology patient as well as hematology patients. So we may see lung cancer and then a myeloma and then a colon cancer and then prostate. So we really have a very broad variety of diagnosis that we see on a day-to-day basis. And how big is the practice in terms of the number of physicians and number of nurse practitioners or physician assistants? We have seven hematologists, oncologists, and then we have six nurse practitioners. Do you always have to see patients with the physician or you have your own clinic? Um, So the way that they do here, the physicians always have to be here because we're not connected to the hospital. So we're not allowed to supervise chemotherapy. So the physicians are always here, but I do see my own patients, but the docs here, if I have any questions or need assistance with anything or somebody's having a problem that I don't know how to handle, um, they're always available to help us. I cannot tell you how much I have learned from the nurses in my career and how many times they have saved me from it's really amazing and um I I'm extremely grateful to the um uh, teaching education and frankly the grace of how they really have always uh, taught um in a way that sometimes they knew um uh, I should know something but they convey the information to me without making me look stupid and mm-hmm. there are very few people that are able to do that. So for the nurses who have taught me a lot in my career, who might be listening to this show, thank you. Tiffany, we got to meet through an unfortunate event that you have experienced. And 
I know this could be very emotional for you to share and to tell people, but uh, I do think it's important to share it with the world because if anything, hopefully it could raise awareness. Take me back to how you started experiencing what happened with your family. So in September of 2021, my daughter woke up one day with right-sided facial paralysis and I immediately told my husband that I had to take her to the hospital, um, that she could have a brain tumor. And I thought of other benign things such as Bell's palsy uh, that could have also been in the differential, which my guts were telling me that it was likely a brain tumor, but my heart was telling me it had to be anything else other than that. And I took her to Arkansas Children's Hospital, and she was evaluated by the ER doctor there, as well as a resident, and then a pediatric neurologist. She had no other deficits at the time, so the pediatric neurologist was certain that it was the case of Bell's palsy from several frequent ear infections that she had been experiencing um, a few months before that. So they felt like her facial nerve must have been triggered by all the infections, and that's what led to her Bell's palsy. No imaging was done at that time. It was just um, based on physical exam. Over the next six weeks from that, um, she became more and more lethargic. She stopped eating food. She didn't want to drink her bottles. Um, At that time, she was nine months old. And then over the course of that six weeks, I finally decided that we had to do something. She was going to get dehydrated, and I didn't know what to do to stop the progression of her facial paralysis. So I felt like something was wrong still, and I took her back to Arkansas Children's Hospital again on Halloween of 2021. They did a CT scan um, that actually didn't really show anything. It showed... um, what they thought was some mild osteomyelitis um, near her right ear, which again, they suspected was from ear infections. So we continued to talk to the doctors and they wanted to send us home, but I insisted that they keep her at the hospital and do some more workup. And at minimum, um, We needed tubes. We needed something to fix these chronic ear infections, and they agreed to admit us. The next day, I talked to the pediatric team and the ENT. They agreed to do her tubes, but I really wanted an MRI. Working in oncology, I know how easy it is to miss something on just a plain contrasted CT, and I just felt in my bone, she needed an MRI and they would not agree to do that. And so I asked to see the neurologist again. Reluctantly, they agreed to do an MRI um, after they did her tubes in her ears. And on November 2nd of 2021, um, she was diagnosed with three brain tumors and multiple tumors down her spine. So the next day we were seen by oncology and a neurosurgeon who um, planned the next day to take her to the OR to do a laminectomy to biopsy her 
one of the spinal lesions because the lesions in her brain were very deep and he was certain that they would cause damage if he were to try to get those. Fast forward another week, we finally got a diagnosis of an embryonal tumor, not otherwise specified. And another three weeks later, it took to get her final diagnosis, which was embryonal tumors with multilayer rosettes. It's a very fatal progressive brain CNS tumor um, that occurs in children that are under five. And that was reclassified in 2016. Um, it was a similar name, but they reclassified it because they found a genetic alteration um, of a CM19 um, gene rearrangement, which is how they got this specific diagnosis. In the meantime, she had her port placed and we were started on high dose chemotherapy with five different chemotherapy drugs that were enough to kill a horse. I feel like I have never given an adult that many chemo drugs at one time. So I was reluctant, nervous to do that, but they were effective. Um, they did shrink her tumors and she was able to to move both sides of her face after this, after she had lost movement on both sides of her face. And uh, she was able to smile again and laugh. And um, she was able to stand a little bit. So she did get a good improvement with the treatment. Um, she was also supposed to get tandem autologous stem cell transplants. And from the time that she got her third cycle of her treatment protocol, she ended up with a couple of viruses that set us back, adenovirus and then rhinovirus. And her transplant doctor pushed her treatment back. After he did that, she ended up with asymptomatic COVID and he pushed her treatment back again, which ultimately led to her death. Her tumor proliferation rate was 80% on her original pathology, which is one of the highest Chaos 67s I've ever seen, even some of the most aggressive cancers that we see, maybe, maybe 50%. But because of the aggressiveness of the tumor, she did not survive that treatment break. I'm very sorry. This is, um, it's, it's, not, it's heartbreaking. And I know that it's, um, it is impossible to recount um, the death of a child. I, I totally understand. And I, I, my condolences and I'm, very, very sorry to hear this story. In your research, as you probably did, like all of us would do when we are encountered with something that we just don't know much about, did you see that transplant would have been effective? Do you feel that transplant, like the delay of transplant, you think was uh, a problem? Or do you feel that transplant was almost like a last resort type of thing? So they were planning a transplant because she was so young. She was um, 13 months old at the time. Um, they don't recommend radiation therapy until they're at least two due to severe neurologic deficits that they can be left with. So the um, stem cell transplants are in place of radiation until they can get old enough to have radiation. After she passed, I was actually on a um, pediatric brain cancer tumor board where they reviewed four different cases of ETMR and of those children who survived, they had to have multiple gross total resections along with radiation and high dose chemo.
So with all of this, what's the survival rate from your research? Because I have, I've never heard of this. So actually, there's only about 600 documented cases of ETMR since um, 2015 when it was reclassified. And since that time, they, the statistic is uh, most children don't survive past 95% of children don't survive past 12 months of their diagnosis date. Are there any research uh, studies going on for this disease? I I could imagine not a lot with so many few cases. It's uh, I, I'm, I'm presuming that probably pharmaceutical companies don't really invest a lot of effort on this, unfortunately. But are you mm-hmm. aware of anybody that, that investing in this? Yes, there are. Um, we have partnered with another nonprofit called Solving Kids Cancer, who um, helped create an ETMR arm onto a um, CAR-T GPC trial, and which is in preclinical trials right now, and it's getting really good results. Um, this was a neuroblastoma clinical trial that was initially set to be done, and then um, Solving Kids Cancer um, asked if they could add on an ETMR arm as the ETMR cell has the GPC-2 target. Um, so they asked to have that arm added on and through the nonprofit foundation we created for my daughter, we were able to help fund that preclinical trial. Along with that, um, there is um, Hackensack in New Jersey has um, a doctor by the name of Dr. Derek Hansen, who um, is the leading doctor in ETMR. And he has created a foundation called Tackle Kids Cancer that is solely developing a treatment protocol for ETMR, which is scheduled to start in January. Um, Through our foundation, we're also really hopeful to be able to um, help fund this research as well, because right now, as it stands, ETMR has no treatment protocol. Tiffany, was there any role for uh, molecular profiling or sequencing in in a situation like this? Are there any studies that you mentioned something about a gene that's been identified as the driver Mm -hmm. gene for this disease? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So, unfortunately, in pediatrics, for whatever reason, they do not standardly do Uh, molecular profiling for these tumor types that was done just through the pathology lab trying to identify which tumor she had. So I think that for whatever reason, they don't normally do molecular profiling. And I feel like that's extremely unfortunate because in the oncology world, the 12 years that I worked in oncology, molecular profiling and precision medicine have been what has driven treatments and driven cures and prolonged survival. And the more that these things are studied, the more we find these these drivers and we can develop drugs to shut them down. And the only way to do that's with data. So it's unfortunate that they are not routinely profiling children. I requested for it to be done on my daughter. Um, I actually had to be quite insistent that they do do it for her and it unfortunately came back as quantity not sufficient through that though after she passed away my husband and I had asked for a or we offered to let them do a research autopsy to get more tumors um, sampling and to get whatever they needed to do more research for this tumor type 
unfortunately, because she tested positive for COVID nine days prior to her death, that even though she was asymptomatic, none of the hospitals would do her research autopsy. Wow. That is, uh, that is a lot. That is a lot to absorb. I, I don't know where to start, but certainly, um, first of all, I, I commend you for willing to have the research autopsy. It's not an easy decision, and I'm very disappointed with the medical establishment that refused to do it, you know, especially in asymptomatic um, situation. Yes. What do, you, what do you want the world to know, Tiffany? What, what do you want folks who are listening to this podcast to know? That a pediatric cancer can happen to literally anyone. We have no family history. We have no reason that we would have had a child that had cancer. So it is, and however much they say this is rare, it's not. It's more rare than adults, I'll give them that, but it is not rare. I have seen multiple children in our community be diagnosed since Nora was diagnosed, and there is not enough research. The federal government is only giving 8% of federal funding to kids. The other 92% goes to adults, and there are treatments that are not being studied. They're not being utilized. These kids aren't being molecularly profiled. There's a massive disparity between adult oncology and pediatric oncology. My daughter received chemotherapy drugs that were developed from 1940 to 1970. Nothing. There's been only four new drugs for pediatrics developed in the last 40 years. So it's disheartening and unnerving to give your child something that causes such drastic side effects and we just have to do better. There has to be more research, more awareness, more funding. And I am driven now for the rest of my life to make sure that that happens. Well, if any, if anyone can, it's going to be you. Uh, I can sense the determination. I can sense the enthusiasm for something that you truly believe in. And you have... Uh, an unfortunate story, but a, but a very effective message that you could deliver to people. Any last thoughts you would like to share with the listeners? Any things that uh, I may have forgotten to ask you and, uh, and I should have asked you? Not that I can think of. If anyone wants to know more about um, our foundation or just facts about pediatric cancer, our personal website to our foundation is Nora, N-O-R-A-S warriors.com um, you can also go to several of the other um, pediatric cancer sites such as coalition for childhood cancer uh, and the pediatric cancer association are great um, resources to look up more information and um, get more insight onto how our kids are being treated and ways that you can help Tiffany McConaughey, really thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with uh, with me and with listeners on the Karis Molecular Minute podcast. Uh, I'm honored that you chose this um, platform to share this story. I would hope that um, whoever is listening contributes to uh, research, contributes to your message, and and uh, hopefully will make um, continue to make uh, progress uh, moving forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for supporting the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. Thank you to Tiffany and her family. And thank you for sharing the story. It is heartbreaking to listen, but it is very important to know, to understand, and to share this message with the entire world. Tell people about this story. Advocate for pediatric cancers and how what we can actually do to eliminate cancer in pediatrics and adults. The value of precision oncology is highlighted in this story, and I hope you can see it and hear it as I did. Thank you for tuning in to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast, and until next time, take care.